You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys on Farmer's Kitchen with me, Helen Farmer. It is, of course, all about food brought to you by Spinneys. We're meeting chefs, talking the latest news and looking behind the headlines too. And it was in conversation with Liam Collins from Go Eat See that we were discussing, should calories be on menus? It's been introduced in the UK and there's been talk of it here in Dubai. What is your take? The pros and cons, we were unpicking that, plus some of the latest new openings. And should influencers declare when they're invited for a free meal. We were talking about breaking your fast safely with a clinical nutritionist, discussing Swedish baked good and pastries, chocolate cake galore. It was Chef Omar Rodriguez who joined me in the studio, born in Peru, raised in San Francisco, worked in New York. He's now here in Dubai. He was joining us to tell his story and his influences and meeting the makers. Ashima Kaka is joining us from Bottled Up. A real pandemic positive story. An ex-dentist who is now something of a condiment queen with her chutneys. They're now on the shelves of Spinney's. And we were speaking to New Leaf, grown right here in the UAE, the microgreens that pack a pretty serious punch. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. The UAE's number one talk radio station. Looking at the latest foodie news, some hot new openings, and always love your recommendations, so get those in on 4001. Joining us in studio is Liam Collins, restaurant critic and the writer behind Eat, Go, See. He is here sharing his latest findings and explorations and looking behind the headlines as well. Liam, let's start with some hot new mm. openings. Where have you been recently that's got you excited to uh, to share with the world? So I would, I would split it between two. So I've got sort of some casual suggestions, which are more of your everyday kind of stuff, and then let's also look at some special occasions Okay. So you're more kind of fine dining options. Uh, we're mid month, so budget wise, yes. that's probably more friendly. Let, yeah, let's let's start casual. Why sure. have you enjoyed? So there's this place called Table, which is in uh, Jamil Art Center, which I would really oh. recommend. So it's it's very. Are you familiar with it? We had we spoke to the chef a few weeks ago, ah. and it was so fascinating to hear about really local produce and it yes. being celebrated to the absolute yes. nth degree. What what was it like from a dining point of view? Was that very much front and center when you looked at the menu? Did you go with an understanding this was going to be a priority for them or would you maybe not even know? No, so I, I, I had a look at them. So normally when I go to a restaurant, I try and do a bit of research, see what's available online and try and get sort of a feel for the tone and maybe the concept of the place. And what I liked to, about the table menu was that, frankly, it was very short. Very often we go to restaurants oh. and you see 30, 40, 50 items and that usually causes me a little bit of concern. Mm-hmm. But actually the, the, the menu is a bit split at the moment. So they have sort of like a dedicated Ramadan menu, which you would expect. Um, and then they have a more sort of a la carte menu. And I think there's only about eight items on that menu. Well, that's, that's a confident move, isn't it? Yes. I'm with you. When I see a menu that it's like, you know, 20 pages long and I'm like, mm, how are you doing like a traditional Brit- uh, you know, British fish and chips as yes. well as you're doing a nasty goreng? I'm like, mm, red flag. Yeah, exactly. And I'd say also just from ingredient turnover as well. So, you know, it's a little bit like the the sort of 10,000 hours rule, right? So if, if someone is making eight dishes hundreds of times a day, the sort of the practice and the art that goes into making it is being refined and mm-hmm. finessed and you're getting feedback from customers. So I less is more. So what uh, did you eat? So I had quite a few dishes. The two that I would <laughs> In highlight. The name of research, of yes, course. Well, purely, it's just journalistic integrity. <laughs> um, so I think the ones that I would highlight as, as standouts. Um, so there's they've got one steak tartar um, on the menu, which I would pose as a question: is could be perhaps is it the best steak tartar in Dubai? So I've not had a steak tartar in Dubai that I would recommend uh, in oh, that sense. It's for this place. So they take a more, I would say, Italian kind of... So the French would typically use sort of cornichons, shallots, and an egg yolk, and maybe a bit of spice and all this sort of stuff, right? But this is more of an Italian approach uh, to a steak tartar where you've got this sort of lovely brightness that comes with lemon zest, uh, and there's this sort of funk of sort of manchengo that sort of ripples through the dish as well. Um, I think it's hand-cut just from the texture of having tasted it. And I would say it's a relatively modest portion, but it is nonetheless quality quality over quantity for sure and i i would go back for that dish plus the second one that i had as well which was so would you believe it's a burger of all things now i know that dubai loves trends and we've sort of had the burger trend a couple of years ago and and the streets are lined with burger you places. couldn't go down beach road without falling over a burger joint tr- tripping over a burger mm-hmm. joint so uh, however what i really appreciate about this burger um is that there's a real folk there's an almost i'd say artisanal attention to detail and the way that they've executed it. So just from the start, they're using local beef, which I I support the fact that they're using local farmers and they're using local beef. Um, It's 80 day fermented. So there's sort of that attention detail as well. Mm -hmm. And they're also fermenting things like chili aioli in the dish as well. Uh, And they're using aged cheddar and they're doing things like uh, local burnt onion powder that goes with it. Um, And it's 
it's a very intense type of dish and the patty sort of enveloped in this aged cheese. It's small, it packs a punch, it's, it's well worth taking a drive for. So this is Table Dunch, as you say, Jamil Art Centre. Now this is off topic. Mm-hmm. Are, are there burgers in Dubai that you rate? There, there are. Uh, I would say that the best burgers that I've had in Dubai are usually not in, I would say, burger joints, strangely. So places that are not actually dedicated to burger. It's probably that discreet, quiet item that's on the menu on the side. So, for example, I had one at Eleven Woodfire recently, which I would describe as superb. I had it two weeks ago. Ah, so for okay. anyone who's not familiar, um, Eleven Woodfire is kind of the... The latest baby yes. um, of Shaq um, Makamel, who's been there famed for mm-hmm. three fills, but also yes. has goldfish Correct. and he consults. And Woodfire is, I mean, you go in and there is a fire. Yes. You know, it's these beautiful big you know, log fire yes. that they're, they're cooking. You know, Sensorial. It's it's incredible space, yes. just next to Mercato Mall on Beach Road. And they do breakfast, but we went in for like a kind of weekend lunch mm-hmm. and had... Oh my goodness, I have to say we had like a f- lovely oh, dips. I love mm-hmm. I love a bread and a dip. Yes. I, I'm sold. We had bread and dips yes. and then we shared a burger and yeah. it absolutely blew my mind because it's got this lovely um, kind of mushroom kind of hidden mm-hmm. between the patty yeah, and, cell. Oh, and, sh- and this sort of ripple of sriracha that goes through. So oh. there's like this gentle bit of spice and yeah, it's it's very well done. And it comes with fries as well. And the fries alone are quite interesting. It almost looks like they've been chiseled off a potato or something like that. They're like canoes. So they're sort of perfect for dipping in ketchup and things like right. that. Right. When I went to Croatia a few years ago, we, oh, we, yeah. we call them Croatian chips because oh. they've got, they look like a gutter. Yes. So it's perfect for scooping ketchup. Yeah, I exactly. don't know why more places don't do them. Um, Allo Beirut does what I call Croatian chips, as, okay. as does Villa 515 on Beach Road. I'm on a mission oh. to find all of the places in Dubai that do the gutter chips. I'll come with you. And then we had the burnt cheesecake because... Because, you know, needs must. Protocol. Yeah, because it's, it's a Saturday. <laughs> um, Liam, we are, we are appropriately going to be talking about calories next. Should mm. they be on the menu? Let me know on 4001 your take on this. This was actually discussed in Dubai back yes. in January 2020. Correct. And it's, I mean, last time I was in a, in a restaurant, there was no calories on the menu. Um, so I'm intrigued, you know, why this has or hasn't uh, been pushed through. But it has happened in the UK. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. Brought to you by Spinney's. We are talking food between now and five o'clock and I'm very good company today. Liam Collins is with us this afternoon. Restaurant critic, the writer behind Eat, Go, Seen, contributor to Fact Magazine as well. And we're asking, do you want to see calories on a menu? So, I mean, honestly, in Dubai, when you see a four-digit mm. uh, number, it does tend to be the a price. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but what about calories? This happened to me a while ago, and I'm not going to say the name of the restaurant. Um, but let's say a big American chain opened in Dubai, and everyone mm. was very excited about it. And we went and um, we had, I had a Reuben sandwich, okay? Yeah. And it was sensational to the point mm. where I Googled halfway through how many calories does this have because this is this yeah. is obscene. And I had 1,400 calories in one sandwich. Mm. And at which point I put the other half down and, and got it to go. My only other experience of this was in the States when I went to the cinema and they list all the calories there. And I was in New York and I was like, oh, well, you know, I'm going to have like a little experience of, you know, the, the picture house. And the nachos, was I still remember, were like, 800 calories at which point I went "Mm, maybe not now calories have just been introduced to menus in the UK and it has understandably been super super divisive yes cards on the table for me I think it's very unhelpful for lots of people, especially those with disordered eating. If you are like me and you perhaps want to find out how much you are consuming, then that's your choice as an individual. Yeah. Um, lots of people getting in touch on this, Liam. Um, Anna saying, absolutely not. It kills the joy of dining. Imagine enjoying your best dessert with a calorie count dagger over your head. No, no, no. Um, uh, Raz saying here, useful information, good to make informed decisions. And a few thumbs up and a few thumbs down. Liam, what's your take on this? So I think this, this is one of those things where um, it, it doesn't. It doesn't always work. Um, if I can be honest with you, I can see what the intention is. The intention is to try and nudge people towards better choices and perhaps at least make people very informed. And I think there's pros and cons to doing that. To be honest with you, so some of the pros would be I think it raises awareness. So the, uh, if you think about the hashtag I'm not a plastic straw initiative, mm-hmm. the whole point behind that was really not to stop plastic straws, but it was really to make people more aware about single-use plastic in that sense, right? So the whole point is is really it's a device in order to Um, bring awareness to a topic in society. And so I can see from that perspective why it would be useful. 
Um, and also it helps people become, I think, more accountable to their choices. So take, for example, my wife and I went to Starbucks the other day um, and we were trying to decide what thing to get. We saw one thing that was 500 calories. We saw th what, another thing that was 380 calories. We decided to have the 380 calorie thing. That was it. But that is that is our personal choice. And I think that's exactly it. And for some people, it's about making an informed decision and understanding, you know, how you can plan a little bit better. But for some people, and this is a lot of the feedback out of the UK, those who have had eating disorders in the past Agreed. or they're worried about, you know, a teenage teenager who might be, you know, getting into disordered eating hugely problematic we have had see you know seen these kind of awareness campaigns being really effective yes. you mentioned the plastic straws there we've seen this um on smoking and, you know cigarette packets as Correct. well let us know your take on this as i mentioned earlier this was mentioned in back in january 2020 it was going yes. to be coming to dubai menus i mean th the mind boggles about how restaurants actually calculate this so so this this raises a really good point about let's let's call it reliability right in mm. in that sense so if you're going to a restaurant um and let's just call it a pizza but what happens if you add extra toppings what happens if you have a drink on top of that what what's going to happen when people go to brunches for example so you know <laughs> oh, is yeah, there is there going point. to be a sign at the door saying welcome to a five six thousand calorie venue and and you have to forego sort of like you know or suspend any disbelief that this is a healthy affair <laughs> yeah please, right? please sign this disclaimer yeah, it's a waiver, get your right? stretchy trousers on yeah br brunches now come with a waiver <laughs> uh, so I think all of those things are, are sort of, I would say, considerations or question marks are going to be quite important um, mm. for execution. I think it, you've raised a really good point, and that is about do people always want to know in that sense? And, and actually, are there moments when people really don't want to know? So take, for example, um, it's Friday. Tonight, I'm probably going to do a takeaway, yeah. Friday night takeaway at my house. I'm going to eat fried chicken. I know it's not good for me. I don't need a figure against that. I just, But I have made the conscious decision mm -hmm. that Friday night is my indulgence night and, and that's it. You know, I want to know where you get your fried chicken from. So it's it's pickle. Yes. Love I really, I really love, love pickle. pickle. We've got Liam Collins with us this afternoon. You can find him on Instagram at eat go see. Um, you mentioned earlier your kind of top pick when it came to casual dining. I want to know for some special dining, if mm. anyone's got an occasion over the weekend or want to have a bit of a splurge, what's a, where would you be sending them? So right now I would say I'm, there are two restaurants that I would, I would highly recommend. One of them is Avatara. Um, and so Avatara is a new fine dining vegetarian restaurant that has opened up in the Voca Hotel. People who are familiar with Trezend and the old location for Trezend Studio uh, will, will be very familiar um, with that space. It's a 15-course menu, uh, and they, they're trying to sort of lighten, I would say innovate around the idea of vegetarian cooking and vegetarian fine dining. This is bang on trend in the world right now. You have places like Eleven Madison Park um, who have decided Completely to go... Completely meat-free. Exactly. So I think, it's, I think it's exciting to see that this trend is coming to Dubai um, and my experience of that menu was was very very positive I'd highly recommend the Dal Vada course that was probably my favorite it's like a sort of a lentil fritter that's um, fried in this very beautiful lattice shape uh, and it's paired with a with a carrot kanji which is a sort of carrot kombucha so you have this wonderful sort of fried soft pillowy dish and then this kind of sweet fermented dish that goes with it and there's this absolutely delicious black as midnight uh, sort of black pickle uh, that's next to it and and that dish for me stood out and that's about I think four or five courses into a 15 course menu 15 courses yeah. it's um, price wise of being meat free how does it reflect on the bill so it's 368 dirhams uh, 15 which, courses. for 15 courses which I think is which I think is very very good it mm. works out to be like what 20-25 dirhams a course or something like that and the food's very intricate it's beautifully plated uh, there's a real attention to detail there that you would expect from that group and your second pick for a special occasion so uh, it, it would, right now I think it would be Trezen's studio so it's Tresden studio has moved over to Nikhil Mall a uh, brand new location beautiful location uh, they're right now number four on the Mina 50 best list well-deserved um, spot well-deserved spot I am I am calling out as a Michelin hopeful Ooh, I like it yeah so I I think for me that's the one to watch um, that is a 17 course tasting menu uh, for, for those who like a challenge all? yes <laughs> for those who like a challenge that is the place um, that is 595 dirhams um, for the 17 courses. Um, and as usual, I would recommend the Pani Puri, which is uh, the first course sort of out the gate. Um, they have a wonderful charred lobster tail dish um, and the scarpetta dish, which is sort of like, it's inspired by those little bits of meat or lamb that's at the end of the, the kebab when, when mm -hmm. people sort of cut the kebab and the bits that fall at the bottom. Um, it, how to put it, inspired concept, beautifully executed. Now, I need to ask you a bit of an indelicate question. Go for it. Because you are a restaurant critic and you write, as I said, in Fact Magazine. You also have your own Instagram account. 
But when it comes to you being invited by chefs, by PR companies, by restaurants, how transparent do you feel like you are or influencers and writers should be about Mm. it perhaps being a free meal? So I I feel very, very strongly and very passionately about this. Um, So my my view is that people who are social media personalities or writers or whatever it is, except for a certain type of person, and I, and I will come to that, um, have to be absolutely transparent about the fact that they are invited, that they are gifted, or that, frankly, it, it's an ad. And in some other countries, you're legally required to do this as well um, in that sense. Look, restaurants and other kind of service providers are savvy to the fact that social media is hugely beneficial to their business. Um, There are social media personalities, uh, and not always bloggers. Bloggers are people who have blogs, in my view, not people who have Instagram accounts. Um, And there is a bond of trust that's created between the social media personality and their followers. Mm -hmm. Um, And my view is that the followers, therefore, believe or want want to believe that whatever it is that they're being told is a genuine and authentic opinion. And unless you tell people that it is hashtag invited, hashtag ad, hashtag gifted, something like that, you're not allowing the follower to be cynical and pull back the veil and kind of invite their own circumspect mm-hmm. as to whether or not what they're being shown um, is frankly a relationship or an agreement between a service, a restaurant in this case um, and an Instagram personality in, in that sense. And I think a lot of people will very often be asked, in their DMs, but how was it really? You know, in, in, <laughs> or in that sense. Would you go back and pay? Or would you go back and pay, right? In, in that regard. And I, but I think it's very important for people who have these social media accounts to forge this kind of authenticity and this sort of transparency with their audience and with their followers. Well said indeed. I couldn't agree more and I wish I wish more did. Liam, you are one of those. Um, a couple of messages going, this guy's fantastic. Where can we follow him? Oh, a little Friday <laughs> afternoon ego boost for you. Um, it is Eat Go See on Instagram. So where are you going this weekend? You mentioned fried chicken tonight. What about tomorrow? So actually, so the special one this Sunday is I'm going to Oceana, which is an invite uh, to be to be transparent. Um, so I'm very much looking forward to that. That restaurant has been on my radar for a very long time. I'm glad to see that Gregoire um, is back at the restaurant again. Uh, and I've heard, frankly, nothing but good things. So I'm very, very much looking forward to it. Stretchy trousers at the ready indeed. Yeah, I believe exactly. that's another 15 quarter. <laughs> <laughs> Liam, really appreciate your time, especially on a Friday afternoon. Enjoy you. yourself tonight. And don't even think about those chicken calories because they're worth chance. every Not single one. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. The UAE's number one talk radio station. Farmer's Kitchen brought to you by Spinney's is, of course, the holy month of Ramadan. And we are bringing in the experts and perhaps to give you some ideas, maybe run out of inspiration for your sahur or maybe slipped in some bad habits when it comes to breaking your fast. Joining us on the line is Mitinda Sakaka. She is here as founder of Simply Healthy and a clinical nutritionist as well. Mitten, how are you? Hey, I'm fine. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. I've got to say, I do feel a little bit hypocritical asking for advice, given that I'm not fasting. But I know many of our listeners today are, are fasting during the holy month of Ramadan and need your help. Um, as I said, you're a clinical nutritionist. So yeah. can I ask you, when it comes to seeing clients during this month, do people have health yeah. goals in mind? And do they think that fasting might help with that? You know, I've been practicing in the UA for the last uh, 18, 19 years. And every time I get two sets of clients with two different mindsets, some of them have uh, never exercised before, but this is the time they want to start exercising. Or they say Ramadan is the best time when they could start on some crazy and difficult diet because they feel, why not? But that really doesn't help. Versus there are some kinds of people who feel it's Ramadan, let me just let go, maybe I'll start taking care of myself later, let me just eat whatever comes my way, let me be very sedentary. So this is what I've seen. Uh, how people react to. So, yes, if you ask me uh, uh, that, uh, you know, are people very particular about their health at this Mm. point of time? Some of them are, I would say 50-50. And given your experience and education, how do you advise people to go into Ramadan with health, you know, perhaps as a priority during this time? Is this a time to be starting any kind of wild and wonderful diets? Is this a time to be looking at calorie restriction or is it really about being mindful of what you're eating and eating it in a sensible fashion? You know, this is the time when I think uh, people are fasting. It's an opportunity for them to uh, reflect and improve and it's also probably a great opportunity to uh, probably explore your relationship with food and, you know, your nutrition. So mm-hmm. it's, it's like uh, connect with your mind, your body and your soul. Your body also provides you with 
instant feedback. So if you're going to overburden your digestive system soon after a long period of fasting, uh, your body is going to tell you back. And the, what is it going to tell you back with is indigestion, bloating, constipation, heartburn, acid buildup. So, so uh, when you're breaking your fast with your family members and friends, you have to, you cannot lose track. You have to probably understand and eat portions properly and uh, be, be particular about how, how many, uh, like, like what kind of fatty foods you're eating or sugary foods you're eating. What is it that's troubling my digestive system? You have to listen to your body. Can we talk about what happens in the body when you fast? And as you say, this is, of course, a time for reflection and gratitude as well. Um, but yeah. during the time where you're not taking on water and food, what state does your body go into? So I'm sure everyone has heard these days about intermittent fasting. It's been a decade of the science behind intermittent fasting. So the science is beautiful. And Ramadan fasting has been a traditional method of fasting. The only difference between intermittent fasting and the traditional Ramadan fasting is people don't drink water even. So they are dehydrated. But fasting is a very good method when you are actually sloughing off or uh, removing dead cells from your body, a process called autophagy. So healthier cells being produced by the body, which helps in anti-aging. This in turn reduces inflammation. This in turn improves your cholesterol levels, can reduce your blood sugar levels if you have high blood sugar levels. Uh, but you have to eat healthily along with it. You have to mm-hmm. follow the process healthily. You cannot just, because it's Ramadan, you cannot start with junk food and sugar and sugary drinks. and I, th- That can't be done. Then, then do, the whole benefit is lost. I do remember a story coming out of one of our GCC neighbours a few years ago, which was about someone going to hospital thinking they're having a heart attack, and it wasn't. It was because they'd broken their fast with a bucket of chicken and got severe <laughs> indigestion. <laughs> So, so, so yeah. in an ideal world, I mean, you know, we of course have the traditional ways of breaking fast, you know, having, I went to Iftar last yeah. night, you know, even at a kind of non-traditional Iftars, it, it does tend to be with date and then some light soup, um, maybe yeah, getting up yeah. some protein after that. From a nutritionist point of view, why do these choices make sense? So it's always best that you start your iftar meal with a warm bowl of soup. So you've been fasting for 16 hours. Your digestive system was at rest. You did not even drink water. There was not any amount of fluid that has gone. So it's completely at rest for 16, 17 hours. The actual fast scenario. So you have lost some good electrolytes from the body because, of course, it's warm as well. You did sweat and you lost some electrolytes. You could not take even a sip of water. So you have to start your iftar meal maybe with three days, two to three days, some warm soup. And the soup should not be cream-based, but light broth-based soups because these uh, vegetables will give you a lot of vitamins and nutrients that your body needs to replenish the lost electrolytes. Instead of juices, like people tend to have these jalabs and the apricot syrup juices, instead of that, you must have coconut water. I think coconut water is the best nature's electrolyte. Nothing can replace that when it comes to electrolytes. The coconut water is is a good uh, uh, fluid that you can take that will comfort your stomach after a long day of fasting. And and it will also replenish all the lost body fluids and help prepare your digestive system for the blessed meal. Now, after this, you have to wait for a while. If you think this is going to be your main meal anyway, because some people, they take a break. Mm -hmm. They take a smallish star and then they probably pray. They take a walk maybe and then they come down to eat a big meal. But mostly nowadays, people don't have that much time to wait. So they eat 7 o'clock as their main meal anyway. So then you have to probably focus on some whole grains, uh, like complex carbohydrates like it could be brown rice, it could be barley, it could be whole grain bread, whatever is your tradition, maybe sweet potatoes, maybe quinoa is what you want to have, or buckwheat, so that becomes your carbohydrate. Then, of course, some lean proteins coming from chicken, meat, fish, or if you're vegetarian, then, of course, red kidney beans, black beans, and uh, edamame beans, uh, tofu, whatever you want to have, this, this becomes protein, but not to forget the fiber so coming from all leafy green vegetables, colorful vegetables, maybe in the raw form, maybe in the cooked form and some healthy fats. So this balanced meal is very important, but you have to eat slow and steadily because mm-hmm. if you're going to swallow down large chunks of food, there's going to be uh, big chunks of food staying indigested in your, undigested in your stomach, and that's going to take time to break down, and that's when the food starts fermenting and you produce gases. And the next day is when you suffer. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. The UAE's number one talk radio station.
We're talking about breaking your fast safely and exercising too. I've had a number of questions for you. Um, Mitten, Mitten de Soka is with us this afternoon, the founder of Simply Healthy, clinical nutritionist as well, um, saying, I'm in training for a boxing match and Ramadan has unfortunately put a bit of a pause on things. What would you recommend safe, safety-wise with exercise? Um, Mitten, what, do you, what and when do you tend to think can work well? So when it comes to exercise, and if you have been exercising regularly, there is no reason for you to stop. You just have to just watch yourself and how your body is reacting to it. So number one, the best time to exercise is probably before Iftar. Let's say if 7 o'clock is Iftar or 6.30 is Iftar, just an hour before is when you start exercising so that once it's time for Iftar, you can have your fluids and your dates and just start with eating that replenishes all your lost nutrients. Now, in case you feel that you don't have the energy and this is not the time I can do anything intensive, which is mm-hmm. quite natural. So yoga or walk or just light calisthenics is what is possible. Now, if, like, like this gentleman said, I'm into kickboxing and I don't have the energy right now to exercise during Ramadan, then the best would be to have a light iftar, uh, just maybe some soup, some dates, some little bit of chicken, uh, some nuts, raw nuts, and you wait for a while and finish your exercise the high-intensity exercise, and then you come back and then you eat a good meal. That is the best way to do, to do intensive exercises if you're like, you lifting heavy weights and you need, that, you need the fuel, then you have to eat something and then you can exercise. Some people want to do it before suhoor, which is the morning uh, meal. Uh, that somehow doesn't go well with our circadian rhythm, you know, like 4 mm-hmm. o'clock in the morning when you have to eat your suhoor, the breakfast meal. Uh, it somehow doesn't agree. The circadian rhythm is opposite of what we want to do and what our bodies would accept. And after suhoor also is a bad idea. So iftar before iftar or after your iftar is a good time to exercise. Mitten, I wanted to ask you as well about diabetics. Um, And obviously some people are exempt from fasting. You know, you speak to your religious leader or your doctor. um, But a lot of diabetics, of course, do want to to fast where possible and and healthy uh, during this time. But what kind of expectations should you have or how can you prepare as a diabetic to fast during Ramadan? So at least a month in advance, if you've, been, if you've been a diabetic for a long time, then a month in advance, you have to start making some changes to your lifestyle. So first and foremost, come for a doctor's visit to monitor how your blood glucose levels have been, let's see your HbA1c levels, which is your three-month average blood sugar levels. And if there is any change of medication needed, let's start the adjustment a month in advance. And, and uh Home monitoring is also important. Now, during this period of one month, we start advising diabetics to start on a slow intermittent fasting plan. For example, if your breakfast was usually at 8 in the morning, we start asking you to push it to 10 in the morning. In the morning, And if your dinner was at 8, for example, you push it to 6. And slowly, slowly, you get into an eating window of 6-7 hours and a fasting of 16-18 to 18 hours so that you're starting to prepare. And then we also ask you to reduce your caffeine intake and look for hypoglycemic um, reactions or at any given point of time if you're feeling dizzy. So this is all preparation you start mm-hmm. making. So usually if you have that prep done ahead of time, they are able to manage if you have to closely monitor even during the Ramadan month. If by chance you're hypoglycemic, we ask you to start taking some water or probably one date or some honey and uh, some 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 drink or juice just break the fast unfortunately that day but monitoring is very important staying in touch with your endocrinologist and your dietitian is very important thank you for that and a question here from aj saying um do you recommend any supplements or extra vitamins or minerals um when you break your fast so great question actually in terms of could you be deficient of anything in particular during this time or could this be a time to introduce something to your your supplement schedule I have seen there are many people who eat their star meal and that's it. They would not have a late snack in the, before bedtime or they would not wake up in the morning for some more. So obviously these people over a month of time could have some malnourishment or some reduction in their B complexes in the body or lowered zinc levels or you know vitamin C or calcium could go down. So in such a case, it's always better to do. So there, are, there is no point taking supplements without knowing what your lab markers are. Mm-hmm. So I'm of the opinion, maybe before Ramadan, just get a full blood test done. Like I would like to check your iron levels, your ferritin levels, your B12 levels. Maybe let's find out your vitamin D. Let's see how is your blood sugar, how is your cholesterol, just to get a rough idea of what is your health status at this point of time. If there is a deficiency, then of course you must take 
we have deficiencies and if we supplement ourselves you will feel the uh, change in your energy levels you will see how your body responds your metabolism everything you will feel it yourself with how how your uh, mind is how you're physically uh, active you feel so yes yeah, supplementation there is no harm in taking if you are deficient if you're not why should you unnecessary <laughs> it's a big waste of money sometimes if you just start yeah, throwing yeah, random yeah. tablets down yeah. your throat um thank you so much for your time today some really useful information and i think f- food for thought for for want of a better phrase for muslims and and non uh, non muslims alike during this time to understand what everyone's going through but also how to do this in a healthy and respectful way and for anyone who wants to get in touch with you it's simply healthy and you know pick your brains on the on the nutrition front what's the best way of getting in touch Yes, definitely. It'd be great if you want to get in touch with me on my website is www.simplyhealthydiets.com. You can check us on Instagram, Simply Healthy Diets, and we are there uh, at your service. Thank you, Miss. Really appreciate it. Ramadan Kareem to you. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai I 103.8. Helen Farmer with you this afternoon and it's all about food. Speaking to some bakers next and I have to say these guys are going to get me in some serious trouble because they brought food and not just any food, a chocolate fudge cake. Um, delighted to be in conversation with Chef Devendra and we've also got Chef Padika as well. They are here joining us from Bagheri, former Scandinavian bakery in D3. Guys, thank you for being with us. Now I've got to, and I don't mean to be indelicate, but neither of you are Scandinavian. Uh, where are you from? Uh, let's start with you, Devendra. Where were you born? I'm from India. And uh, Badika? I'm from Sri Lanka. You're from Sri Lanka. Okay. Yeah. So, but it's a Scandinavian bakery where there's like very much the, some of the traditional breads as well. And we've also got some kind of baked goods too. Um, Devendra, where did your love of bread come from? When did you start baking? Um, it's uh, from the operational or... When did you start um, baking bread? When did what? How did that job start for you? Uh, from the morning time, you're asking about, right? We have started the operation in the morning, especially starting with the feeding and all. Uh, there is a moisture called a starter. Mm-hmm. Now everyone got into doing their sourdough baking during lockdown, exactly. and everyone seemed to have a starter in their fridge. For anyone who's not familiar with it, what is it? What does it mean? The starter is actually a fermented. Uh, uh, liquid which is included only flour and water which one you have to soak it for at least uh, 10 to 12 days then uh, uh, it will start to become a starter once it mature you have to feed it the feeding is only flour and water uh, flour and water some uh, people have their starters for years yeah like you know decades and it becomes this legacy that's handed down from chef to chef or through families my um, husband's brother worked in a restaurant and they had their starter they'd had for about 20 years and they called it mother <laughs> 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 how long have you had yours and exactly that the starter uh, uh, uses as a yeast mm-hmm. so our all the breads are yeast free actually we are using the normal starter only now, uh, Badika, you are the man responsible for yep. the cake that you've brought in. How did you get into, into cooking and baking? Uh, back in 2013, I started my cooking. Uh, I was in college in uh, 2013. Once I finished my diploma, I just moved to Dubai. And uh, then I started as a trainee in Abu Dhabi, one catering company. Uh, until now, I have grabbed uh, 10 years experience in around uh, five-star restaurant and the hotels as well. Now, and some of the things that you're making are going to make the mouth water. So, yes, you've got a beautiful chocolate fudge cake. We've also got some tr- more traditional Scandinavian things like the Swedish, uh, the Swedish cardamom bun. Um, what are some of your favorite things to make? Uh, from my side, pastry, we produce Swedish cinnamon bun. It's, uh, it's kind of bun. We fill with the almond cream and uh, top with the almond uh, strusel. And, and what's popular with the customers? What, what do people always go a bit crazy for? Uh, actually, that at the moment we m- much focus about the breads, so we not focus uh, much about the pastry items at the moment. So guests are expecting more bread items from uh, our restaurant. From our good colleague here, uh, Devendra, you're doing well. What do you think makes Scandinavian bread different or special? Especially for me, uh, the Swedish buns uh, was a new things for me also because after 15 years of experience. I have worked first time in the Swedish cuisine. <laughs> but it's good to learn, it's good to explore the things 
from the context from the social media internet through mm-hmm. we are going through the new new recipes and it's good when we are receiving nice comments from the customers as well the reviews and uh, right now if you will ask the fast moving items sir is really the swedish cinnamon and swedish cardamom swedish saffron buns these all buns we are receiving very nice comments from the customers it's a really beautiful space as well your instagram is a thing of beauty that kind of scandinavian style on the menu but also in terms of the design aesthetic as well um i want to come back to the yeast if you don't mind um because i understand there is this uh you know kind of some of the myths around it so can you tell us mm. if we wanted to bake some bread at home mm. what's the easiest thing to make without yeast you want me to honestly talk to me as if i'm a 5 year old and i want to make bread so <laughs> if we if everyone wants to achieve something over the weekend baking bread where should we start and what some of the easiest things to do the easiest thing i would suggest with the buns a uh, burger buns soft rolls soft yeah. buns yeah because these things only a normal proving and baking is needed we not needed any steam or uh, higher you know things it's a soft dough soft normal buns which will add also uh the easy ingredients salt sugar yeast flour uh butter milk and eggs that's it you make it sound easy but baking is a science especially especially as a pastry chef the the precision of ingredients and the timing and the decoration and because i know you're making some ramadan pastries as well can you tell us about those yeah right now we have uh, introduced our ramadan menu uh, halwa cheesecake and date cake with uh, vanilla ice cream as well as a uh, chocolate fudge cake which i bring for you today Okay. and also mixed berry cheesecake okay now that i'm going to go into the green room and have a little nibble guys thank you so so much you can find the uh, bagari form um there near d3 um head over to instagram as i said um is an absolute thing of beauty and i'll report back on that chocolate fudge cake in just a few minutes this is farmer's kitchen on dubai i 103.8 the uae's number one talk radio station Joining us in the studio is Chef Omar Rodriguez. He has got many accolades under his belt and probably as many stamps in his passport as well. He developed Mater Restaurant and Pico Bar in DIFC and now heads up the Slab Group restaurants. So this is Mercato, Slab Burger, BRD, by Slabs Well. And uh, he's joining us in studio. And I've got, to, I've, got, I've got to give you a big compliment, Chef, before we actually start talking about you because I live really close to Mercato and the kale salad in Slab is... my favorite and I never ever ever thought I'd say that about kale. So you've made kale delicious and that's the biggest praise I could ever give anybody. Well, thank you. It's a our best seller and um yeah, people come just for it, you know. Really? Yeah. I normally get it on the side of the salmon. The yeah. the 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 salmon fillet's beautiful. How, what can you can you break down the salad for us? What makes yeah, it so, so special? Yeah, so you know, I, when I was uh, you know, I wanted to do a kale salad, but I didn't want to do the redundant kale caesar, you know, or what you see in the market. I wanted to do something more fresh, light. Um so I, you know, I love uh, you know, South East Asia like flavor profile, so I wanted to do something, you know, along that line. And so I figured I take some nok nok chom, you know, which is just fish sauce, sugar, lime, and toss it with some kale and you know, put some crunchy bits and some citrus segments and um some chili I, as well. I, yeah, some chili <laughs> and uh you know, I had a nice combination there, you know. Well, worked out well. Thank you for bringing it into my life. Um let's go back in time though. You were born in Lima in Peru, then you moved to San Francisco. You spent half your life in New York and now in Dubai. Tell us about growing up in Peru. Who was cooking and what were you eating? Yeah, so um uh growing up in Peru, I mean, I I was only there for a few years, you know, I moved to the US when I was a toddler but uh I definitely you know have a few memories you know and obviously uh you know my grandmas were big cooks and they're always reverent as like you know the the cooks mm-hmm. in the family and um you know that was part of the growing up you know and even when we moved to the US you know my gra- everyone always made that reference to you know grandma's cooking and she was she was a really accomplished home cook and uh she would cook for you know family dinners what was she friends making? and families um well she specialized in uh creole criollo like you know peruvian cuisine like really classic uh everything from ají de gallina which is like a creamy uh spicy chicken with rice um braised uh beef with cilantro cumin you know and um 
just everything, empanadas, uh, ceviches. Um, so I was exposed to that at a you know very young age. So it must have made an impact on you in your decision to work in food. Then when did you make that decision? Well, that decision, um, I think subconsciously, it was with me all along, and because um, I had um, when I finished high school, it, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do with my career. I, you know, I kind of went to college, and I you know didn't know what I was going to major in. But it came to a point where I realized that the one constant was food and it was cooking. And, um, you know, growing up, I loved going to the market with my mom. I would like leave my friends and be like, got to go, guys, you know, going to the market. I love going shopping. I love helping out in the kitchen. And, you know, so much so that when I was a kid, I loved watching cooking shows. Like, I watch cooking shows over cartoons. <laughs> what about now? Do you still enjoy watching cooking shows? Not as much. They kind of lost their... Their appeal now that you do that 10 hours a day? Yeah. yeah funny that. <laughs> and um, so, you know, I, but it was never, like, you know, something I wanted to do. It wasn't like, oh, I want to be a chef. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, coming from an immigrant family, my parents, you know, wanted me to do something, you know, so called professional yeah more professional and mm -hmm. then being a chef wasn't exactly you know we didn't come here and do all the you know have sacrifice and work our butt off so you could you know work in a kitchen you know and mm -hmm. um and uh, but you know so i was two years in junior college you know i was uh trying to figure out what i wanted to major in and I, it just clicked i was like this is what i love this is what i, I want to do and uh so i um Applied to the Culinary Institute of America, and uh, I got in, and uh, next thing you know, I was off to New York. Working probably 14 hours a day. Yeah, so I went I went to the Culinary Institute, I did the program there, I uh, graduated, I got a bachelor's in restaurant management and all that stuff, and then I moved into the city, you know, I was in my early 20s, you know, young Omar, big city. <laughs> And it, it was tough. I, it was it, it was brutal. Like the city be, beat me up, but mm -hmm. I I never gave up. I showed up every day. And can you imagine I mean, what did success look like to you back then when you were putting in those hours day in day out? You what know, did you What did you want? I always felt lucky that I, when I was young, I made a timeline for me for myself, and I say in five years I want to be a sous chef, and then in five years after that I want to be a chef and I want to do it in New York mm -hmm. and I did that that's the thing about kitchens isn't it there is this hierarchy like the yeah. army you know there is this natural progression ladder but then you've gone on to work internationally yeah. and I'm, I'm curious chef when you think about your heritage and your influences you know Peru San Francisco New York you're now here in Dubai how do you describe your philosophy on food well it's a cosmopolitan you know it's a I come from many places and I bring that with me. And, you know, when I think about it, I'm really privileged because Lima is the gastronomical capital of South America. It has all the, the top, you know, 50 best. Most of them are in Lima, Gastón Acurio, Virgilio. I mean, the list goes on, you know, so I'm lucky to be from such a rich gastronomical place mm -hmm. that has so much culture, heritage. And then, San Francisco, the Bay Area, which is, again, just, you know, very strong with the, you know, food scene and the agriculture in California, the farmer's markets, the produce, it's insane. Um, every time I go back, I'm, I tell myself why well, I'm not here, you know? <laughs> Anyways, and then I go to New York and it's like everything's on steroids there, mm -hmm. like just the food scene, all the different cuisines, Indian, Greek, Japanese, Italian, American, like it's the avant-garde, it's the cutting edge. And to be in the middle of all of that, you know, um, and be working in this high-end kitchens, you know, um, it definitely, you know, help me like hone my skills as a chef and mm -hmm. um and now i bring that to dubai and dubai again is also a great food city and i think that's why i love it and i realized for me when i've traveled and i've you know temporarily lived in other places it's important that i live in a melting pot mm -hmm. and i live in a place where there are many different cultures and i have access to different ingredients different cuisines uh this you know is very important
And that sense of inspiration as well, you know, to who you're surrounded by in the kitchen. You know, what 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 are they bringing to the table from their heritage, their background, the flavours they've grown up with? And I think that's what's really interesting about Dubai food scene. And, you know, historically, of course, it's really rich and really interesting. But I think the last five years, it's absolutely exploded and starting to get the recognition it deserves. I mean, Michelin just announcing it's coming, yeah. um, I think, is, you know, a real, a real accolade. Um, I'm going to have to let you get back to the kitchen soon, Jeff, but I'm curious... If there's a dish on the menu, and it could be at Slab, it could be at any of your places, that you feel is like you on a plate. If you eat it, you're like, I know who Chef Omar is. What do you think it would be? Oh, that's a tough one um, because, um, wow. (laughs) Yeah, uh, you kind of got me off guard there. Um, What is my dish? Um, My goodness, Um, I'm a little bit lost. Sweet or savory? Definitely savory. Okay. Yeah, it would have to be ceviche. I have a soft spot for ceviche. I love the zesty, citrusy, spicy. You know, I love fresh fish. I love seafood. I'm big on seafood. It's uh, you know, it's my death row. You know, meal would be a nice bowl of ceviche or seafood. You know, tier like you know oysters and shrimp cocktail and you know all that. A nice spread and then finish it with maybe with a nice, you know, bouillabaisse base or chipino like definitely seafood so it'd be ceviche for sure oh, tummies rumbling across dubai chef omar rodriguez thank you so much for being with us afternoon really interesting to hear about your story and what i said you bringing here to the slab restaurants and uh again thank you for the kale salad i'm gonna go get one this weekend yeah definitely i'll be more than happy <laughs> let us know where you are eating this weekend on 4001 that was chef omar rodriguez many accolades under his belt developed meta and now heads up the slab group restaurants this is farmer's kitchen on dubai i 103.8 the uae's number one talk radio station Brought to you by Spinney's. We're speaking now to a company that is there on the shelves. And for many people, of course, the pandemic was hard, but it did lead to some creativity out of boredom. Some inspiration to start a new business, even. And that's exactly what happened to our next guest. Ashima Kaka is an ex-dentist and now the co-founder of Bottled Up Chutneys that are sold in Spinney's. Waitrose online as well. She's joining us in the studio and there's a cheese board in the green room. Oh, now I need to give you a public compliment because you've just converted me on beetroot. <laughs> Honestly, I'm so glad. <laughs> it's absolutely delicious. Now, let's go back to the beginning. Big decision mm-hmm. to change careers completely. Talk us, talk us through about that that leap. Um, okay, so um, I'm an ex-dentist, as you mentioned, and I practiced for about five years. Um, I took a slight break uh, because I had my son and I never went back. Now, I never went back because I finally got the opportunity to see, you know, the healthcare industry and dentistry from the other side. Um, And uh, I realized that I'm probably better at other things (laughs) and probably more passionate about other things than dentistry. Uh, And it required a a lot of, uh, you know, effort, a lot of uh, long hours that Mm -hmm. went into uh, going into practice every day, practicing for eight hours and leaving a child that small was not something that I could do at that point. Um, So, yes, uh, there were a lot of uh, projects that came out of, uh, you know, being away from the healthcare industry and bottled up being one of them. They're delicious. So let's start to talk about how you kind of started tinkering with flavours then, because it initially started at home and you were in that first wave, the 2020 Spinney's Incubator programme. Yes. Now you are on shelves, it's obviously a fully fledged company. Um, Where did the idea come from? Okay, so um, I've been outside of India. I'm basically from India, but I've lived outside India most of my life, which means that I've had the opportunity to meet with and to socialize with people from all over the world. Um, This is when I realized that people really enjoy bold flavors. They enjoy having these uh, warm spices as a part of their daily meals. Uh, however, somebody who does not come from, you know, the Asian subcontinent probably does not know how to bring in those those bowl flavors into the daily meals and balance them. Exactly, I think that's a really hard thing yes. for for me because spices are not a big part of kind of British palate or cuisine, and yeah. I like using them, but often. It's just never been part of my kind of culinary education. So when it's done well, it's incredible. When it's done badly, often in my kitchen, it can go very badly wrong. So what were some of the flavours you started working with? Um, so, yeah, so that, that's where the idea was born. And we thought that, uh, you know, we have something called the garam masala, which is a mix of spices that we make at home. So why not bring in recipes that our ancestors have been using, the garam masala, but incorporate that into fresh ingredients that the Middle Eastern and the Western palate is more accustomed to. So, for example, we, we tried our hands with beetroot, uh, which 
which is not a very common ingredient in India, but it is in, you know, in this region or the date or the green apple. And uh, we came up with these fabulous, uh, you know, amalgamation of fusion of flavors uh, that eventually resulted in the chutneys. So, yes, as you said, three flavors of chutney, beetroot mm-hmm. and ginger, yes. spice date, which to me tastes like Christmas, but I can see why it'd be really appropriate at this time of year of, of Ramadan and, and Eid as well. Tangy green apple, which mm-hmm. is just gorgeous. And you said earlier it could be used like a relish in a burger, which I think would be yes. great. You brought in cheese. I mean, my <laughs> goodness. Now, something we've seen absolutely explode in popularity across Instagram is these kind of charcuterie boards. Yes. Or like yes. a grazing table. Mm-hmm. This must you know, be perfect timing for you guys in terms of how people can enjoy and eat them. Absolutely, it is. Uh, but on the other hand, we also have to educate people on what a chutney is. Not everybody knows a chutney. So I've had a lot of people come up to me and say, what is a chutney? Can you please tell me what it is? You know, so we tell them, OK, it's like a spread or it's like a dip, but there are different ways in which you can use them. So while you and I, you know, we know about chutneys, but there are a lot of people that need to know what that term means. Interesting. I've never even thought about that. Yeah. I guess it's like a savoury jam. <laughs> but yeah. that'd be a weird, way, a weird way of putting it. Because for me, growing up in the UK, we had, um, a plum tree in the garden and that always had like an absolute glut of plums so we used to make chutney with that and apple yeah. chutney as well so I'm very pleased we've got those kind of home created flavours here and what's really lovely about the jars it's obviously beautiful branding and very professional but we've Thank also you. got handwritten expiry dates on and it still feels like it's very much connected to the roots of the company starting yes that's the whole idea we are a homegrown brand we're a small company and we want to still be very true to our roots um, and um, another thing that we firmly believe in is you know we try to source everything locally and when I say locally I mean the GCC so from our you know the designer we've got her locally and everything the bottles everything is sourced locally uh, except the the green apple which doesn't grow in the region but uh, we've tried as much as possible to keep it within within the UAE. So what was it like then getting the the seal of approval from Spinney's what did that mean to you? Shima? Oh wow that was <laughs> that was a dream come true I think uh, the first uh, day when I mean when we won and we got a call from Tom uh, from Spinney's and uh, we just couldn't believe it but he was really sweet and he said you know what take the day enjoy yourselves celebrate the win and we'll think about everything else later <laughs> and you're going to come back and work hard yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's next then any any other flavours bubbling away on your stove at home uh, well, yes, absolutely. That's in the lines. We do plan to expand the, uh, you know, the flavors. We we plan to bring in a few more. And um, yeah, we'll stay tuned for that. Watch this space. The space you can watch online is their Instagram bottled up AE and it's bottled up dot AE as well. Shima, thank you for being with us. Thank you for bringing food. And dare I say it, thank you for converting me to beetroot. That's that's quite the credit to you. And Thank you so much, Helen. I, I'm so, so flattered that, you know, I've, I've converted you. You have indeed. <laughs> get, get it, get it on, your, on your LinkedIn profile. Absolutely. <laughs> You're a star. Really gorgeous flavours. You can find them in store at Spinney's. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinney's. Talking food this afternoon and we've had it all on the show. We've had cheese and chutneys. We've had chocolate fudge cake and Swedish baked goods. And now we're ending on a bit of a healthy note. Thank goodness. I think we need a bit of light relief. New Leaf joining us in the studio. They produce authentic hand-reared, organically farmed, soil-grown superfood microgreens. What does this mean? We're finding out now with Chris and Decker from New Leaf joining us in the studio. Happy Friday. What a week it's been. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm really well, thank you. I have to say a bit emotional having seen Rania win that incredible prize, but a really wonderful, wonderful uh, end to the week and I just want to say first of all I'm a fan I've enjoyed um, some of your produce before and I always think it's really fascinating to understand a bit more about some of the produce that we see on our shelves understand how those um, you know, dishes were created how that produce was farmed um, so how did New Leaf kind of first get its start Kristen? Um, so New Leaf was started by our founder Adam as a way to help his father when he was suffering from cancer about 20 years ago. Why was that? So um, this was way before I knew him or was involved, <laughs> but it was um, just a way to offer, you know, uh, nutrition in a very quick way um, for somebody that didn't have a huge appetite and needed a lot of nutrition. That's really interesting. So a, a kind of a very efficient way of getting, you know, the good, the good nutrients, the vitamins and minerals in, as you say, someone who's, you know, feeling unwell and going through treatment, not yeah. a big appetite. What kind of minerals, what kind, how, much, how much power are we packing in some microgreens? A lot. Okay, so ours are grown in soil, so they can have up to 83 minerals, vitamins, um, antioxidants, disease-fighting compounds. Um, It's about uh, nine times more than the mature vegetable, 
And really, yeah, they're really tiny but mighty, is what I say. <laughs> what, what, what? Which ones are we talking? Like your? I mean, it's, it's green, so I'm guessing there's some iron in there. Okay, so there's they're they're all green pretty much except the beetroot. There's a few that have red pigments, uh, but just like anything else, broccoli, kale, cabbage, those pack the most punch. Mm. But every single one has nutritional benefits. Now, I'm interested to understand about the soil grown because hydroponics is really big internationally. We're seeing a lot in the news around that and in terms of viability for growing in places that perhaps hasn't been possible before. Tell us a little bit about the where and the and the hows the new leaf produce is grown. So soil grown is obviously how nature intended and how we would get it from our gardens. And obviously soil quality has been diminishing all over the world. Mm -hmm. And with, you know, food security, there's so many issues that come up with um, soil quality. So soil gives a lot more nutrients. There's nothing wrong with hydroponic um, and it serves a role uh, for sure where you can grow things that you wouldn't be able to grow. But because what we're growing is so small and we're in a vertical farm, we can use soil. And the soil has been curated like over this 20-year journey. Is it like the magic potion? It really is. It's a secret formula. Uh, no chemicals, no, nothing artificial, um, you know, all organic. So, Can you paint us a bit of a picture about what that space, that farm, that building <laughs> looks like? Well, on the outside, you wouldn't imagine that there's this magical farm inside. It's a warehouse in DIP. Uh, but when you walk in, it's just, um, it's got a special feeling. It's like being on a farm. You know, you can smell it and feel it. Um, you know, it's just rows and rows of stacked up vegetables growing. And I think, you know, we're talking about how fresh things are. It's literally then just going down the road to be in stores. Yeah. So it's uh, handpicked at the perfect time. So, you know, I think up to 85% of food, that number is probably coming down now in the UAE, but it's imported. So it's grown for to last long, not for flavor or nutrients. So this is, you know, picked at the right time and then packed up and sent, you know, into our stores or into restaurants. And you're getting something that's really fresh. It's got a longer shelf life because of when it's picked and because it's grown in soil. And it tastes just like, you know, if you eat a tendril pea from us, it tastes just like straight out of the garden. Let's talk about the range then, Kristen. Okay. What, what, what's on the offering that is actually available for us mere mortals and not perhaps chefs okay. who are often the ones who are there with their, literally with their tweezers, placing yeah. their micro So generally, yeah, you're right. The chefs uh, order like, you know, one at a time and, you know, for their flavor profile and aesthetics. Uh, but we went into the B2C market a year ago, and it's just been building and, you know, getting a lot of attention. And so we just, um, we've got salad mixes. So for Spinneys, they curated their own salad mixes that are special and unique, and you can only buy them there at That's the Spinneys and Waitrose stores. Um, and we just launched today uh, our other lettuce salad mixes that we carry, the Summer Savory, Summer Rainbow, Summer Asian Lettuce Mix. And then our three um, easiest microgreen mixes to use. Because you might wonder, how do I use them? Well, well, we, I did, well, didn't, yeah. didn't want to ask that, but how <laughs> so do we use them? We, we kind of already did that hard work for you. Um, so the Got the Hots, Jubilee, and Happy Family are our best sellers. I always have them in my fridge it's for the my happy family. family one. Yeah. And those are already kind of put together so that they're, with the exception of Got the Hots, Jubilee and Happy Family are like mild, um, and picked for their high nutritional quality. And you can kind of, you can go sweet, savory, smoothies, acai bowls, or on top of eggs, sandwiches. And got the hots, I mean, that is a little spicy, so not overwhelming. Uh, but I put that on sandwiches, eggs, uh, tacos. So it's already kind of mixed up for you. So talk to us about quantity. If you're doing something like a smoothie, what would you put in the blender? I just put like a small handful in for my kids. And, and for myself, too. And there's benefits to doing that and also benefits to chewing it. So, um, you know, a lot of the plant compounds are released when you mm. chew these. So it's good. It's fine to put them in your smoothies, and I do. Um, but I also sprinkle them on my kids' food. And you'd be surprised they're not as intimidated by them as you would think because they're so tiny. And I'll hold one up and say, this would grow into a whole head of broccoli, but you don't have to eat the whole head of broccoli. <laughs> and this is just as powerful. Yeah. So I sprinkle it on everything, mix it into salads, um, you know, just put it on everything. 
in terms of recipes and things, is that something that you have got online or Instagram? Yeah. So I manage the Instagram page and, you know, always putting like dressing ideas, salad ideas, smoothie ideas. So it's all there. And then I share a lot of ideas that other people are putting out there with microgreens. And and from a chef's point of view, we do have a lot of chefs listening in the afternoons as well. What kind of trends are we seeing when it comes to that kind of B2B market? What are they what are they ordering? Well, they love the popcorn, which we don't do to the a consumer what? market, the popcorn microgreen, um, because that loses color quite quickly. Um, so if we were to sell it in the stores, it wouldn't look as impressive. But they love that with desserts. Um, nasturtium. Uh, because of the way it can hold water and it, it just looks really amazing. Um, but, you know, there's all different uses for them. Some are using wasabi, some are using mustard. Um, you know, I see it in almost every restaurant I go to and I can tell when it's come from <laughs> I was us. just about to say, are you yeah. like some kind of I, microgreen super nerd? Totally, like, I am. Us. I'm like, could you ask the chef where they get these? <laughs> Well, you can now get it, as I said, um, on the shelves of Spinney's as well. If you do want to check out the Instagram, it is at New Leaf Dubai. So have a little nosy there. Did I say that right? Yeah. Phew. Okay, good. It's Friday afternoon. <laughs> the concentration levels are struggling. Kristen, thank you so much for being with us. As I said, it's always really interesting to understand a bit more of the story, the values behind a company as well and how it gets to our shelves. And really wonderful that it does not have to very travel far at all. Not so, at all. New thank Leaf you. Dubai, you are very welcome indeed. for being with us on this episode of Farmer's Kitchen. You can tune in live every single Friday afternoon between 2 and 5 on Dubai Eye 103.8.